Second uh, John and Third John. Got a piece of paper hanging out there. We're continuing our study through these two epistles of John, and last week we saw that these two epistles harmonize with one another, and that John's third epistle helps explain things in his second epistle that otherwise might seem difficult for us to understand. For example, we saw last week that when John addressed uh, his, his audience in the second epistle, he addressed it to the elect lady and her children. And in Second John, uh, verse 1, John said, look with me in verse 1, the, uh, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all they that have known the truth. So I told you last week that I believe the elect lady is a reference to the church that John was writing to, and that her children are those who had been born of God, the children of God through the gospel message that the church preaches. We learned that John tried to write to the church in his third epistle, but the leader of the church, John, John said, would not share the epistle with the congregation. Okay, So John mentioned the church's children many times before in his first epistle, so I believe, as I told you last week, that he in the same spirit is referring to them again in Second John. Am I off again? He's cutting out again. Wow. Wish we could figure that out. Brother Rick has spent hours up here testing it out and everything, and so... Not sure what it is. Something is interfering. We just got to figure out what it is. But as we learned before, these children were begotten by the truth of God's word. So John told the church in Second John four. Look with me in verse four. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your precious word. We love you so much, and I pray, dear Lord, that you'll remove all distractions this morning. And I pray, dear Father God, that you will preach your truth through me and ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Give me just a moment. I've got to... Put my phone on airplane mode. I've got a young man asking me questions about the Bible in a different time zone, and I need to keep that from popping up on my on my phone so I can see my notes. The truth of Christ has been and will continue to be under attack in every generation. John said, I rejoiced greatly. What is it, Tammy? I'm I'm soft. Can y'all hear me okay? No? Yes? Okay. All right, sugar. Thank you. Uh, the truth of Christ has been under attack in every generation of the church. As Satan did to the God's angels in heaven, so he does to God's people on earth. He tries his best to distort God's truth and by doing so destroy God's people. I know that in the past there's been times... Here in the USA, we call them the good old days, and I can certainly remember when we had some better days for sure. But there's never been a time here in America, or any place in the world for that matter, where the gospel truth has not been under attack. 
I remember watching an old video clip of Billy Graham, old black and I believe it's black and white clip, and uh, he was on the Woody Allen show. And January is old enough to remember that. Yeah, he's a, she don't to be Woody's Woody's mother, but uh, but I remember watching uh, Billy Graham on the Woody Allen show, and Woody was criticizing Billy Graham. Now he was being respectful to Billy Graham the whole time, but uh, he was sowing seeds of doubt during the interview, and seeds of criticism of the gospel in people's hearts. And and, and have you ever noticed? We're talking about the gospel being under attack and John saying, I rejoice to see your children walking in the truth. Have you ever noticed that Christianity in America is attacked like no other religion in this world? Have you ever noticed that? I know my daughter Grace and I were talking yesterday and, and she said, she said, you know, it's funny, you know, uh, and, and she started telling me this very same thing that I, I said, you know, I'm preaching on that tomorrow. Something she noticed have you ever noticed that anti-religious people, atheists, people that are uh, against religion, they, they don't attack the Muslim religion? you ever noticed that? It's strange. They don't attack it. Or the Buddhist religion, or the Mormon religion, or the Jehovah's Witness religion, or the Hindu religion, like they attack and criticize Christianity. Muslims kill unbelievers all the time. Muslims kill homosexuals. Muslims degrade women. Muslims stand against almost everything that liberals and atheists stand for. Nevertheless, those anti-religious liberals never attack the Muslim religion. In fact, they always side with the Muslims and support them. It's bizarre when you think about it. It's not logical. Why is Christianity always under attack and these other religions are not? It's because Christianity is the truth. And all these other religions are the lies of the devil. That's why we have the targets on our backs. As Jesus described in the parable of the sower, when gospel truth is sown on a person's heart, that truth will be attacked by the enemy and only time will tell if the truth was genuinely believed by the person who heard it. Only time will tell. If the gospel was believed, when the hearer uh, heard it, then that hearer will continue to walk in the truth. But if the gospel was not genuinely believed in the beginning, then the hearer will sometimes openly depart from that truth in the end and deny it altogether. I told you uh, a while back about a, a church member that I visited one day, not from here, but a different church, and and I was speaking to her adult son, and he told me in front of his mother, he was grown, he was in his 30s or 40s, and, uh, and he told me that uh, he did not believe that salvation was by grace through faith. He said, in fact, that he did not believe all the Bible was the Word of God. He said he believed some of it probably wasn't true. And so I told his mother that I was going to pray for him for his salvation. She said, oh, I believe he was saved because he did believe it when he was little. So I believe he's saved. And uh, it's, it's amazing. But the truth is, though he 
may have professed the truth as a child or repeated the truth as a child that he heard, he was never a believer as a child. For had he believed the truth when he was young, then he would have still been walking in it when he was old. That's what the Bible says. That's why John was so glad to discover that some of the people from this church were still walking in the truth of Jesus. You're walking in that truth, John said. Look back in your text. As we have received a commandment from the Father. Notice how they walked in the truth. They walked in it as they had received a commandment from the Father. The truth that they believed was according to the record that they had received. That God gave of his son. The record that was proclaimed through the prophets of the Old Testament. And then clarified and confirmed to us through the apostles of the New Testament. That's how they walked in the truth. Take your pens and underscore the word received. Received. What tense is the word received? Past tense, isn't it? Something that's already taken place. That's very important for us. What do we deduct from this? The gospel of Jesus Christ was not something that they were receiving. It wasn't something that was in constant development. It was something that they had already received. The church was not still in the process of putting all the gospel pieces together, Brother Doug. They weren't still trying to figure it out. The Father had already revealed the full truth of who Christ was and what Christ had accomplished for us. So the truth that they needed to live was the truth the apostles already had to give. Got it? The truth they needed for eternal life had already been given. Why is that important? Because it helps us to understand the concept of a past truth that has now been confirmed by a past truth which thus denies any future truth that contradicts what we were given in the past. The Mormon religion, for example, was not the record that we had already received from the Father. The Mormon religion was a new doctrine, new message that these people had received from a man named Joseph Smith about 1,800 years after John wrote this epistle. In the book, A New Witness for the Articles of Faith, page 64, if you ever want to read about the Mormon religion and understand their articles of faith that they that they give. Listen to how the Bible gives us the record. Uh, I'm sorry, listen to how the Mormon religion gives us the record of God. You ready? Quote, this is the Mormon teaching. The Father is a glorified, perfected, resurrected, exalted man who worked out his salvation by obedience to the same laws he has given to us so that we may do the same. In the history of the church, volume 6, chapter 14, page 305 through 306, 
another Mormon teacher says, quote, We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil. He was once a man like us. You have got to learn how to be gods yourselves, the same as all gods have done before you, namely by going from one small degree to another, from exaltation to exaltation, until you attain to the resurrection of the dead. In other words, God, like all other gods out there, just started off like us, just a a basic sinful man. And he just worked his way and worked his way and worked his way up till finally he became God. Joseph Smith himself, the founder of the new doctrine, said, quote, God is an exalted man. Our father had a father and so on. End of quote. But the record that we receive from the father in Psalm 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. From eternity past to eternity future, he's always been God. The gospel is not about a man who worked his way up to becoming God. It's about the one and only God who came down to die for man. Oh, how the truth can be turned completely backwards if we are not careful to stick with the record that we have received, to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. As the Scriptures put it, God did not have a father God said in Isaiah 45, 5, he said, I am the Lord. Remember what the Mormon teacher said? Just like all, God was just like all other gods. And you have to be, learn to become a God yourself. You see, the Mormons teach that eventually their Mormon people will one day have their own planet and be a God like our God. They're going to work their way up to Godhead. They're going to be God. I guess they'll have their own scriptures, their own Bible. I don't know. Maybe they'll go and die for people's sins. I have no idea what they plan on doing. But they said, God got that way just like all other gods. But you know what God said? In Isaiah 45, 5, God said, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. God did not need salvation like us. That's a lie from the devil. That is not the record that we received. God did not work his way from sinful humanity to holy perfection. God said in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. Unlike the Mormons teach, God did not begin as a man, and man will never end by becoming a god. If God was created as a man like us by some other God, then that would mean some other God had to make our God, which would mean that God was more superior than our God. Can you imagine? God clearly said 
that there is no other God beside him. And if there was some other God beside him, then where did that God come from? And then where did that God's God come from? And on and on these foolish questions would go, leaving us with no answers as to who the real God and originator of all things really was. Mormonism was not around when John wrote this epistle. But this epistle was written for all the new and corrupt doctrines like Mormonism that had come in John's day and that one day would come in our day and will come after in the people's day ahead of us and challenge the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. The Apostle John said that the truth of Christ had already been received from the Father. So if you want to walk in the truth, then you must walk in the truth that the church had received when this epistle was written. And if you're not walking in that truth, then everything else is a lie that you're walking in. John is warning us to not fall for the lies of the devil and fall away from the truth of Jesus Christ who said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. How long has Jesus been the Almighty? He's always been the Almighty. Look with me now in Third John verse 3. 3 John, verse 3, John said, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. See how they're parallel once again. Here are the facts, church. The church had already received the truth when this epistle was written. That truth gave everlasting life to everyone who believed it. And when people believed that truth, John said it was a matter for them to greatly rejoice about. You see that? He said, I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that were in you. In fact, look now in verse 4 with me. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. No greater joy to walk in truth means believers walk in the light of God's truth rather than the darkness of the devil's lies. Notice that John said they were his children, my children, John said. Remember, they were the elect ladies' children because they were saved by the church's message. They were the apostles' children because they were saved by his ministry. They were born again by believing the truth of Jesus Christ, and he rejoiced greatly that they still remained in that truth. And had somebody come along later and taught them a different doctrine about God which contradicted the gospel the apostles preached, such as the Mormon heresy that we just discussed, then that conflicting doctrine would be of the devil. And to follow that doctrine would be to walk in darkness and to abide in death rather than to walk in light and to abide in the life of Jesus Christ. John said there was no greater joy for him than to hear that his children of the ministry, we're still walking in the truth of Jesus Christ. And listen, if there is no greater joy for a pastor than for him to hear that people are walking in the truth, 
then that means there is no greater need for a pastor than to preach the truth that people need to walk in. I've stood against false doctrine in the past. And I've had people in the church get upset at me for doing it. I preach the simple cross of Jesus Christ rather than the sinner's prayer and altar calls and other things that have crept into the, into the, the church during the, the recent centuries. And by doing so, I've been accused of making the gospel too complicated. But church, there is no other doctrine that can set man free than the grand old truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There is no new and improved gospel. There is only the old and glorious gospel that we have received. So John told the church in Second John verse 5, Look with me now. He said, And now I beseech thee, lady. Second John 5. I beseech thee, lady. I'm speaking to you, church. Not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning. Truth is always consistent. He said, I may be telling you something new, but it's not new. What I'm telling you new is consistent with what you've heard that's old. Truth is always consistent. It will never change. It will never morph into something else. Now, truth can be explained in greater detail, but it can never be contradicted in any detail. So John points these people, and by doing so points us, back to the Word of God that they had received, that we have received from the beginning. And when Jesus was here, he did the same thing. He pointed people back to the word of God that they had received from the beginning. When Jesus was asked why Moses provided divorcement in the law, because Jesus taught against it. In Matthew 19, 8, Jesus said, quote, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But, quote, from the beginning, it was not so the beginning, the original plan of, uh, of God and, and, and the original revelation of God's Word, it's always going to be the best standard for man and it can never be contradicted. Man can never improve the Word of God with some new idea. He can only mess things up by introducing new stuff. In Jeremiah 6.16, God gave us these wonderful words of exhortation. He said, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. That's what we need. Ask for the old paths. If you get off track, find your way back to where you, where you went off and get back on the old path. It's the old paths that make us seek the, the Savior in the new path of the gospel. And it is the new path of the cross that confirms to us the old. So the new, therefore is not new at all. Rather, in both Old and New Testaments, we are given the command, look back in the text, that we love one another. For the love of God is the fulfillment of the law of God that He gave us in the Old Testament. If you love your brother, you love God with all of your heart, you love your neighbor as yourself, all those Old Testament commands are going to be fulfilled. The moral commands, that is. They're all going to be fulfilled. The love of God fulfills the, 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 the law of Aaron, 
the, the, the Levitical law of that, that the Old Testament priesthood, the love of God through Christ fulfills all of that. The love of God through us fulfills all those Old Testament commands and the Ten Commandments. You see, God created us to be the objects of his love. Isn't that amazing? You were created to be an object of God's love. For God just to pour his love out on you. That's an amazing thing, but that was the purpose that you were created for. So when we love one another on account of our faith in Christ, we allow the gospel to open the spillway of God's love that it may flow through us and fulfill his purpose for creating us by him loving through us the objects of his love, our brethren in Christ. In the Old Testament, God gave us the precept to love our neighbor. That's the old command. Love your neighbor. In the New Testament, God gave us the power to love our neighbor. That's what's new. The Old Testament, it it didn't give us any power to love at all. It just told us what to do. The New Testament gave us the cross. The New Testament gave us the gospel. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ... And the Holy Spirit confirming that truth in our hearts, we now have the power to fulfill the precept. This is what John is talking about by the new commandment. He's saying that we should love our brother not on account of the law, but on account of the love of Jesus Christ that we received, which confirms and conforms to the law. When John tells us to love one another, he's not talking about some kind of mushy Christian love. Ooh, we just love everybody. He's talking about loving one another in the truth of Jesus Christ. Truth and love cannot be separated. Look in 2 John 1, 6. He said, and this is love that we walk, how? After his commandments. That's what love is. Love is walking after the commandments of God. Listen, any so-called love that does not originate in the truth of God's commands being fulfilled by the cross of God's Son is not the love of God. It's not. You have love and it doesn't conform to the law of God. It's not love. It's not God's love. The apostate church today wants you to think. In fact, again, I was talking to my daughter Grace last night. She didn't even know what I was preaching on. But she told me about uh, a young lady that uh, came to visit her she hadn't seen in a while. In fact, that lady uh, has been to this church before. It's been a while. She sang at this church once. I think at a ladies' conference. And she said, yeah, I was talking to her dad and she was going to come down and spend some time together. And she said, Grace, I just want to let you know that I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm now a more loving and tolerant person. She's a big Joe Biden supporter. She's turned liberal. She said, I'm now a better person because I'm more loving and tolerant. You see, the apostate church want you to think that they love more than we do. Because they accept sin, because they, they tolerate other religions besides Christianity, because they accept homo, the homosexual agenda and the transgender and all the wicked sexual perversions, because they want to support women murdering their children in their womb, they're, they're, they're more loving than we are. They're more tolerant. 
And that's what this lady was trying to convince my daughter Grace of. They went out to eat. My daughter was sad. They sat down. They got a cup of coffee and something for breakfast. She said, I looked across the table. She said, Dad, you know how when you look and you don't say let us pray, you just kind of look and you pause and y'all, you're about to ready to pray together. I looked, you know, like we were about to pray together. And she said she looked at me and realized what I was going to do. She goes, oh, go ahead. Do your thing. Do your thing. Broke her heart. But she's more loving. Rejected God's law, rejected God's word, but she has more love because of it. But John told us in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Just the, the, the apostate church says, Oh, we love everybody. We love the things of the world. We love the homosexuality. We love these perverted uh, ideas. We love abortion that goes against God's command, Thou shalt not kill, and against God's word that says God knows a child from the moment they're in the womb before their members are even formed. We have more love, they say, Oh, they do have more love for the world. They do have more love, but not for God, because this is the love of God, John said, that we keep His commandments. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. John said, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. When we're talking about love in John's epistle, we're talking about God's love. We're talking about good love. God's love is rooted in God's truth and it is given through God's Son. How does God bestow His love to us? One way. He bestows it through Jesus Christ. Through his gospel. Therefore, how do Christians bestow their love to others? One way. Through Jesus Christ and his gospel. So we love by keeping God's commandments. But John said, look back in verse 6. This is the commandment. That as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Now, now look back and let's put this together. Okay. He said before, he said, look in 2 John verse 6, and this is love. You ready to hear the definition of love? That we walk after his commandments. And now he defines that and says, this is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Faith in Christ is the truth we gain Love in Christ is the truth we give. I'll repeat that again. Faith, uh, uh, love, and, uh, uh, love and truth are inseparable. This is what John's trying to show us. Faith in Christ is the truth we gain. Love in Christ is the truth we give. Do you realize what this means? About this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And this is His commandment that as we've heard from the beginning, we continue walking in it. This means if a church is not giving you the truth of God, then that church is not giving you the love of God. Oh, they can act all loving. But there's no love there apart from the truth, folks. 
A church can have all the charitable programs it wants. It can feed the hungry. It can have drug rehab meetings. It can give away free medical and dental care. It can provide you with the best singles group, the best youth groups. But if that church is not teaching, laboring, and sharing the power of the gospel, it's all a lie. It's all a sham. The love of God cannot be ministered apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that, we'll go ahead and close today. And Lord willing, we'll take back up in John's wonderful epistles next Lord's Day. Listen, folks, I am glad that I have the scriptures like two big, solid, eternal guardrails, divine guardrails that keep me going in the path of truth. And if you keep putting these scripture guardrails up, you keep your nose in the Bible, then when you start to veer away, boom, you'll bump into them. And God will lovingly put you back on that right road. He wants you to continue to walk in the truth that you received. Sometimes I get a kick out of looking at old... uh, old photographs from churches that have like, you know, they take like church, uh, what do you call those, uh, directories, church directories. You look back maybe in the 60s and you'll see pictures of them. Or in the 70s you'll see pictures, 80s you see pictures and 90s and so on. And you know what happens when you look at those? People look different in the decades as they go. Have you noticed that? They dress different. Preachers' hairstyles change. Fashion changes. And you know what else changes? What they believe often changes. What they practice often changes. What they wear changes. Their standards begin to change. And do you know why? It's all affected by the influence of the world. There's something about our human nature that wants to follow what we see the world do. That's what Israel wanted to do. That's why God gave us the stories of Israel saying, oh, look look at them over there. Let's start doing that. John's saying, that's a, that's a tendency we have as people. He's saying, but look here. Here's the old path. Here's the standard. Here's the record of God. You stick your feet on that path And don't go to the left hand or to the right. You continue to go down that path until you step from this earth into heaven. That's what you ought to do. I've got a little song I wrote about Enoch. I wish I had those words with me right now about continuing to walk in that path. I wish I had those words. Maybe I'll bring them next week. It's never been sung. It's never been sung. My family was going to sing it, and that never did work out. But one day, I'm going to find someone to sing that song for me, Lord willing. And it talks about walking in that path until you step on into heaven.